Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the love of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own burden. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thank you, Steve. Steve, um, this morning was uh, encouraging to me. Steve was telling me about how he's spent a lot of time this week studying this passage, and that's really cool to hear that you're taking it to heart and, and you're excited about it. Um, so good job. Um, let's, let's take a moment and pray together if we could. Um, our Father, we thank you for this great morning that you've given us together. Lord, thank you for how you have knit us together as your people. Lord, and we've sung about that this morning and been reminded of your spirit who unites us together as one. Lord, we know that the church is not a building. Um, this is a nice building that we're in, but the church is not a building. It's the people. And Lord, we are so grateful for the way that you are making us a church. Lord, you have knit us together as as your people. And so, Father, I do pray that you would help us, as, as we sang about this morning, help us to love one another well. Um, Father, you, you, in your word, um, instruct us to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so right now, Lord, we pray um, for those who are sick. Lord, we ask that you would grant them healing and comfort. Lord, for those who are in any kind of financial need, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them what they need, Lord. For those who are depressed or lonely, Lord, we ask that you would send encouragement, even through us, Lord. For those who, are, have, who have reason to celebrate this morning, Lord, I pray that we would all rejoice with them, rejoice in Christ, Lord, grateful for your abundant blessings, Lord. And I pray for those who find themselves in a position of abundance. Lord, that they might be a blessing to others around them. Father, thank you for the good work that you are doing on our behalf. Lord, we know that you are sovereign over all things. Um, you are worth trusting in. I'm reminded of what I read in Isaiah here this morning, Lord, that those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame and Father, we just thank you for that truth, Lord. You are trustworthy and um, someone that we ought to put our faith in. And so we just thank you. We ask you this morning, Lord, as we um, consider this passage of Scripture, uh, help us to, to, 
take these things to heart, Lord. Help us to see what this really has to do with us. Um, Lord, these were words written 2,000 years ago, but Lord, with incredible relevance for us today. And so I pray that we would take these things to heart and that your spirit would be impressing upon each one of us the things that we need to hear. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be here with you today. Um, This is a a fun space. Uh, My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here. And over the past few weeks, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We've been considering the things that he has to say here to us. And really much of what he's been describing is how a new life in Christ works. How does this whole thing, this whole thing of following Christ, how does it work? And so he's been explaining that to us. Uh, If you want to be in good standing with God, the old way of doing things isn't going to work. It never did in the first place. So trying to to live up to a set of religious rules and regulations, um, the Old Testament law that the Jews were relying on, those things were never going to get us there. We can't even live up to our own standard, let alone God's standard. And so Paul teaches us that what we need is we need to rely on the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so he speaks of being justified by faith in Christ. And then Paul went on to explain that it's not just that we're saved by faith, but that we actually continue the life in Christ by faith. So we begin by faith, we continue by faith, and there's incredible freedom in this. Um, We've looked over the last couple weeks at the freedom that we have in Christ, and it's not just freedom from the law, it's also freedom from sin's bondage in our lives. And then last week, we considered the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live this new kind of life. Without the Holy Spirit, all of that is good, but we're, we're missing something. And so we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you remember, for those who were here last week, I took a stick, a wooden stick, and I duct taped an apple to it. And I said, this is man-made religion, okay? It's, it's just a dead stick, the, the stick itself did not produce the apple. It's not a tree. It's, it, no, ma- no matter how much I duct tape a, an apple to a stick, it's still just a dead stick, right? When God wants to make fruit, good fruit in our lives, he makes an apple tree, right? And the apple tree is of itself able to make good fruit. And that's what it's like for us when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, producing this good fruit through us. Now, all of that is... Really good in theory, but what does that look like lived out in our lives? And that's really what Paul's getting into in this passage is let's talk some specifics, okay? Specifically, what does it look like in the Christian life when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit? What does that actually look like lived out? And what we're going to see in this passage is that life with the Holy Spirit is all about doing good to others. Now, as we consider this, um, it's really helpful to have some context. So I want to read for you um, just two verses earlier, Galatians chapter 5, the end of that chapter, verse 25, Paul says this. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
Um, the word that he uses there speaks of, of falling in line, of, of lining up. You know, if, it's, if you're in a military setting, you know, everybody lines up and they get, get ready to follow whoever the commander is. Now, that's the idea here. It means that we're going to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in our life. And then the very next verse, Galatians 5.26, he says, this is how not to do it. <laughs> Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. That's how we shouldn't do it, right? Because that would just be operating in the flesh. And so that word there, conceited, I mean, we know what it's like when, you you guys know what it's like when you deal with someone who's conceited. That's not much fun. Um, The word Paul uses um, literally means empty glory. It's the person who is all puffed up with pride, but there's nothing there to be boasting about, right? That's what conceit is. We have no grounds for boasting, and yet we're trying to brag about how cool we are, you know. And Paul says that is operating in the flesh. Instead of that, everything we see in chapter 6, okay? So instead of what he's saying there, we ought to live out the Spirit's work in our lives. We ought to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And this passage breaks down real neatly into two sections. It's probably in two separate paragraphs in your Bible. And the first five verses is about doing good in the lives of others, mainly spiritually. Okay, How do we look out for each other in, in our spiritual lives and make sure that we're, we're doing well in that area? And then the other section, 6 through 10, is how do we look out for each other materially, financially, and physically? Okay, How do, how do we take care of people in that sense? Um, if you have a bulletin on the back, there's a little bit of a guide there, some notes. Um, so the first section here. Let's pursue each other's spiritual good. And let me just read verses 1 through 5 again, just so it's fresh in our memory. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any area of sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So if a person gets caught up in sin in their life, and and Paul's really broad here, literally any area of sin in their lives, you who are spiritual ought to step in and seek to restore that person. Now, now who is this little batch of people, you who are spiritual? That's like, that's like you and you, and not you, uh, you and you, you. No, 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 no. Paul's not talking about like the spiritual elite and the rest of us are like left out. Like, okay, the super spiritual get to step in and help. All the rest of you guys should probably sit this one out. Um, That's not what he's saying at all. Um, This is actually really similar to something he says over in 1 Corinthians 2.13, where he's explaining, he's teaching um, spiritual truth to those who are spiritual, he says. And in context there, it's, it's clear he's just speaking to Christians, right? Anybody who has the Spirit of God living in them. So Paul's been talking about walking by the Spirit and living in the Spirit and keeping step with the Spirit. And what he's saying is, you are Spirit people. 
You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And so it's not that you're like super spiritual, Naomi's like a notch above, you know. That's not really the point here. What Paul is saying is if anyone is caught in any kind of sin in their lives, all y'all ought to step in and seek to restore them, right? Every one of us has the Spirit of God operating in us if we have faith in Christ, if we've been born again through Christ. And so this is a shared responsibility we have. We ought to all be doing this together. And then Paul goes on and gives us really what I would see as three aspects of how we ought to do this. Okay, so the first one is we ought to do this gently. We ought to do this gently. Um, Why? Uh, First off, because it's more effective that way. (laughs) Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, You can imagine if someone um, saw that you were caught in some kind of sin in your life, there was some issue that you were really struggling with, and they just stepped in and laid into you. That's probably not going to help, right? So we need to, to first recognize that if we want to actually restore the person, if we want to actually seek their good, we need to do this gently. Um, The second thing that he points out here is really that we ought to do this humbly. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I'm just kind of play out a couple scenarios here. Okay, these are imaginary scenarios. Let's say an alcoholic woman is trying to help her friend. And her friend actually is an alcoholic as well. And so she goes over to her place and, and finds all the hidden bottles and takes them out of the house. But now all of a sudden, she's dealing with some major temptation, right? Uh, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you could be tempted by the same thing that you're trying to help that other person out of. You can be tempted by that same exact thing. Let's play it out another scenario. Let's say a high schooler confronts his friend for staying out too late and lying to his parents. Well, there's a pride that can creep into that, right? You know, that, that other person, you know, I'm, I'm better than that other person. I would never do something like that, right? Now, that's a different kind of temptation. Now you're being tempted to have pride. But in either case, you can easily be tempted into sin right in the midst of trying to help someone else, right? And so he says that we ought to do this humbly. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, So we have to do it gently, we ought to do it humbly, and then he goes on to say we ought to do this responsibly. Um, This, and and I'll explain this in just a second, but but it makes me think of when you get on an airplane and um, the stewardess gets up front and nobody's listening to her, let me tell you what she's saying, (laughs) because nobody actually listens. Um, She gets up and she explains the the little oxygen mask that drops down that that we all hope we never have to use. Because I can't imagine, you know, the airplane's going down. Let me think slowly and carefully about putting on this oxygen mask. But, um, but the oxygen mask you're supposed to put on yourself first before you help your child. Why is that? Well, it's because if you immediately go to help your child, now you're incapacitated because you have no oxygen, and you're not good for either, Right? And so what Paul's saying here is in the midst of this, don't lose sight of your own responsibility before God. 
You're caring for that other person, but you also need to take care of your own stuff. And so there's a tension here in these verses, and maybe you saw it. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. But then verse 5 says, each will have to bear his own load. Does that sound like a contradiction? It, It does a little bit, right? Bear one another's burdens, but then bear your own load. So does that mean you're doing double duty or what's going on there? So what's going on there is there's two different words being used. So to bear one another's burden, a burden was something that was too big for one person to carry. Big boulder, you're trying to get it from here to way over there. You need help, right? And so when something comes into your life that's too much for you, You need other people to come alongside you and help. Bear one another's burdens when something comes in like that. The other word here, to carry your own load, the load was a word that was often used to refer to a soldier's backpack. Okay, the soldier is going out marching. He's heading off to do whatever soldiers are doing that day. And he has his supplies for the day with him. Okay, so he's carrying his own load. Now, here's what happens, and I know you guys, I know you guys, you're, you're loving and you're kind and, and you want to care for each other, and so you're like, you know what, I'll carry your backpack, I'll take your backpack, I'll get your backpack too, and next thing you know, you've got like eight backpacks on that you're carrying, and all these people, they don't have to be responsible anymore, but now I'm burdened and weighed down with all the backpacks that I'm carrying. What Paul's saying here is that's not how we ought to do this. Everyone is responsible for the basic responsibilities that God has laid upon them. And we all have those things, but we also have burdens. And when those burdens come up, we need each other. And so if you're, you're not carrying your own load, <laughs> you're really not ready to be helping others, right? You ought to at least have your own responsibilities taken care of. It's sort of similar to what Jesus says in Luke 6. So Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So don't confront someone on the sin in their life. If you have obvious glaring sin in your own life that has been unaddressed, that's, I think, what Paul is getting at here. So before you confront, before you address sin in someone else's life, remove the log from your own eye. Um, Paul says that when we do this, when we bear one another's burdens like this, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. That's a really weird phrase, isn't it? The law of Christ. What is he talking about? It's really interesting here, especially because Paul has spent so much time in the book of Galatians saying that you're not under the law. You're no longer under the old law of Moses. So what does this mean? Well, what Paul is pointing to is the idea that we have a new master. We're no longer under the law. We're now under Christ. And so the law of Christ is really pointing to Christ's reign and rule in my life, in your life. He is king, and whatever he says we ought to do, that's what we're going to do. So if he says, love your neighbor as yourself, 
guess that's, I guess that's my marching orders. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself because Jesus told me this is what I'm supposed to do. And so when we bear one another's burdens, Paul says, we're doing exactly that. We're doing exactly what Jesus has intended for us. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Um, just as a side note, um, you know, we can look at it from this perspective of, you know, I want to go out looking to bear people's burdens. But there's also the, the side of this of, of what if I have a burden, right? And I think it can be really easy for us to let a little bit of pride creep in and say, I don't really need people's help. I'm good. I've got it taken care of. I can get the boulder there myself. You know? But in reality, we need to be willing to be honest and vulnerable enough to, to share our burdens with others. Let them know the, the issues, and, and, and you'll be blessed, and they'll be blessed, um, but we need to let others help us. And so Paul is explaining through this that if someone is in sin, or if they have any burden in their life, we all, because we have the Spirit of God in us, ought to be seeking their good gently and humbly and responsibly, without ignoring our own responsibilities before God. Now, um, you might be tempted to say, well, that sounds like a lot. I think I'll let someone else do that. (laughs) I don't really want to do that. Um, That sounds awkward, stepping into someone's life. But really, Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who have the Spirit in you, you spirit people, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's a responsibility that every one of us has. And so he speaks on, these, on that side of things about doing good to people spiritually, but then he goes on to talk about the other side of this. Um, and this is, this is actually really good news for us, that, that the Bible views us as holistic people. Dan pointed that out this morning when we, when we knelt down to sing. The Bible recognizes that there is a spiritual component, but there's also a physical aspect to us. And the Bible is not two-dimensional or superficial or whatever. It recognizes the whole person, and that's because God made the whole person, right? And so this is just really encouraging that that the Bible recognizes both aspects of this. And so verse 6, let me just read verse 6 again. It says, Let the one who is taught the word... Share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is, this is speaking most likely in terms of financial things. Um, share good things with the one who teaches. And so, um, don't give the church your old stuff that you don't want anymore. <laughs> give them the good stuff. I heard a story um, one time years ago about a missionary that was out on the mission field, and they were receiving used tea bags from somebody back home. Somebody back home was, you know, saving all these used tea bags and mailing them overseas to them, which just sounds like a waste of money getting it over there. And most likely they live somewhere where the tea was grown anyway. But, um, but they were getting all these used tea bags on the mission field. Don't send missionaries your old tea bags. That's, <laughs> that's like not the good stuff, right? Um, generosity is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. And I just want to personally say thank you to the many people in this church who are very generous um, in paying your pastors. You know, Dan and I are well cared for, and that's really what this is speaking to, is providing for the one who teaches. Um, And then it goes on to say, 
do not be deceived. And this is interesting. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we're supposed to do this generously. We're supposed to share materially with others generously. But then what is he talking about here? Well, what I think he's getting at is that there ought to be a consistent generosity in our lives. Okay, and I think it is broader. He's laying out a principle here. It's broader than just giving to the one who teaches. Uh, there ought to be a consistent generosity here. And he's pointing to the principle of cause and effect. Okay? We, we could easily look at the Christian life and think, oh, I guess the principle of cause and effect doesn't work here. Right? We're, we're out of bounds here because we're saved by grace. Right? God saved us by grace, and so he overlooks our sin and welcomes us in. And so maybe the whole principle of cause and effect doesn't work over here. And Paul says that's not the case. What a person sows is what he reaps. There's no loopholes to get around this, right? God will not be mocked. The things that we do still have consequences. They still have consequences. And so he tells us, keep doing good. Don't give up. Sow the seeds so that you can reap a harvest. And it's the the language of farming, and it's the hardworking farmer who perseveres to the end who will actually get a crop. You can imagine the farmer starts out, and halfway through he gets tired, and he doesn't want to do it anymore, and he doesn't worry about especially around here, watering his crop, you know. (laughs) Like all these things are important um, in order to actually have a harvest at the end. James 5 makes a really similar point. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't give up. The time for harvest will come. Paul says that the reward comes when we reap. It's probably referring ultimately to when Christ returns. There will be great reward. Uh, This isn't saying, you know, give to the church and you'll get rich. Um, Although it does seem that God does provide for us materially when we're generous. And so the point here is is we ought to be generous. We ought to be consistent. Um, Look at what 2 Corinthians 9 says. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, meaning invests sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we're to give generously, we're to give consistently. And then I think Paul is saying in this last little section that we should give strategically. And let me explain why. Verse 10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now that phrase, let us do good to everyone, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little overwhelming. Doesn't that sound just a little, like how in the world, there's a lot of people in the world, 
how am I to do good? Personally, how am I to do good to everyone? And so what Paul says is there's, there's some priorities here. We're to do good especially to those who are of the household of faith. So if given the choice between helping my sister or my brother in Christ or helping a stranger I don't know, right? If I have limited resources and time and I've got an option, first priority would be helping the people in my own household of faith. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. Now, this is a, this is a um, strategy or this is a principle that is consistent throughout the New Testament. So let me, let me read a couple verses for you. So 1 Timothy 5.8. Here's how the Bible lays this out. Your first responsibility is to your own family. Okay? 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a really strong statement, isn't it? Kind of an odd statement. But your first responsibility, before you get into any of this other spiritual Christian stuff, you've you got to at least take care of your family. Everybody knows that. That's what Paul's saying. Everybody knows this. You have to take care of your own family. So your first priority is take care of your family. The second is what we read here in Galatians. And that's our extended spiritual family, right? You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. So you are family, but it's extended family. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then third is everybody else, right? Uh, There's still something we should seek to do for everybody else. Ephesians 4.28, Paul, again, kind of laying out this general principle, let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? So you can see there's kind of this, this way that this lays out, practically speaking. So your first responsibility is take care of your own family. I need to make sure my kids have food. Right? And then secondly, let's make sure that we're loving one another as a church. And if I find out someone here has a financial need, like we all can step in to help that person. Right? And then third as we see other needs in the community around us. You know, the, this parable of the Good Samaritan, you're going along, you happen to stumble across someone who's in need. Well, now you have an opportunity to do good to this person. Right? So there's this, this kind of set of priorities. And Paul's just saying, let's, let's get really practical here. This is what it looks like to have the Spirit of God living in you. And that's really where all of this started. He starts with this statement, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so that's what it looks like. As we bear fruit in our lives, it's going to be fruit looking for the the spiritual good in people's lives. It's going to be fruit looking for material good in people's lives. And we're supposed to be looking for opportunities to do these things. And, And I just have one final thought here, and it's a song that we sang this morning. John 13, 35 says, They will know you are Christians. They they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And what a compelling image that is, right? What an amazing, beautiful thing it is when the church operates through the power of the Spirit, seeking good in each other's lives and in the the community around us, and and we're genuinely showing love the way God intends. Um, You know, it, it was... That kind of a community of believers that turned the world upside down 
in the early days of the church. It, it was that kind of love and, and amazing difference that caused the Roman Empire, which was filled with pagan worshipers, pagan idol worshipers, to have so many people turn to Christ and follow Christ. And really, I think that's what our world needs today. I think we desperately need to show the world a better way and show them what it looks like to to have the Spirit of God living in us and living out this kind of good in the lives of other people. And so um, I just want to encourage you guys, this is what the, the new life in Christ looks like. You know, Paul has been laying this all out, and last week the the imagery of a tree bearing fruit can sound really um, abstract, really out there. And I think the beauty of what he's doing here is he's showing us, here's some practical ways that this gets lived out. Um, Let's let's pause for a moment and pray. Our Father, um, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God who lives inside of us who transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Lord, on our own, we are uh, unlikely to do these things, Father. We're incapable. Lord, our, our hearts are so often selfish. Um, Lord, we, even when we attempt to do good, we, we often do it for the wrong motives or in the wrong ways. And yet, Lord, when your spirit is dwelling inside of us, Lord, you bear good fruit. You fill us with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. And that gets lived out in the lives of others. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, that we would see tangible evidence of the spirit's work among us that our lives would be transformed and that the people around us would, would be able to see you at work. God, it's not for our glory, it's for your glory. Lord, you are good and you are at work in your people and we long to see what that will look like here. And we pray that in Christ's name.